0: If you would, this morning I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look this morning at the story, the parable of the prodigal son, in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. Luke chapter 15 and verses 11 through 24 will be our text for the message this morning. This morning I am going to speak primarily to our men Fathers, this is for you, but this is for all of our men. Ladies, I certainly hope there are things that you can draw from this as well, but I I think there are times, just like on Mother's Day when I spoke to the ladies, there are times when we need to specifically, from the Word of God, address our men. Guys, I've probably watched that video about five or six different times now. We, pastors first saw it at Together for the Gospel when we went to that conference back in April, and every time I see it, I tear up. Maybe because we all, in one way or another, identify with him. It's so easy to have thoughts and motives that just aren't right. And guys, I want you to remember, Garrett, as I go through this message this morning, because I believe that the path to spiritual victory in all of our lives is daily surrender. Not once in a while, but every single day, broken, contrite, surrender before God. I believe that the attitude that the prodigal son has toward the end of the parable is the attitude that God wants us to have every single day. Guys, I don't know if you like to watch these. Every once in a while I watch these videos online of motivational speakers, especially those motivational speakers in the area of athletics. I just love to sometimes listen to them, and they are people who, are, who professionally Uh, speak to athletes to try to motivate them to be the very best that they can possibly be. And often these motivational speakers will use, and maybe some of you have heard this before, they will use the acronym NDO. NDO means no days off. No days off. That if you're going to reach the pinnacle as an athlete, if you're going to experience The height of your athletic potential, there are no days off. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying this morning because I'm a firm believer that in our occupations we all need vacations. Uh, Sometimes we need personal days. Sometimes we need those things. However, guys, I want to impress this on you this morning. When it comes to your walk with Christ, when it comes to spiritual warfare, When it comes to engaging in spiritual warfare with Satan, it's NDO. There are no days off. No days off. And here's why. Satan never takes a day off. He is always roaming about, looking for someone to devour. Guys, I want you to know this morning that Satan doesn't take a vacation. He doesn't have personal days. He doesn't have sick days. He's always after you. And when it comes to humbling yourself before Christ and surrendering yourself to him and being broken before him, there are no days off. This is something we need to do as men every single day. I've had the privilege of counseling with quite a few men over the long course of my ministry here. And one of the things that I have noticed repeatedly is the men who are finding victory in Christ are those who have come to the realization they can't do it on their own. They can't do it. They have to surrender to Christ, it has to be Christ in them. Remember what Garrett said? said, so I was either going to die or I was going to surrender to Christ. Guys, that's the kind of attitude we need to have every single day. In Luke 15, we read, and he said, referring to Jesus, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Well, our first point this morning is Luke 15. Luke chapter 15 is one of the best known and best loved chapters in the whole Bible. It contains the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. All three parables bring out the joy of God when the lost sinner is found. The parables teach an important truth. God does not wait passively for sinners to come to him, but actively seeks them out. Aren't you glad for that this morning? God doesn't sit, a while, sit around passively waiting for sinners to come to him. He actively seeks them out. And our heavenly Father has a yearning love for the lost. In Luke 19.10, it says, for the Son of Man came, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. All three parables teach us that there is great rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. And there is a distinct pattern in all three of the parables in Luke 15. Something is lost, something is found, and then there is great celebration. Something is lost, something is found, and then there is great celebration. Verses 1 and 2 of Luke chapter 15 provide the setting for all three parables. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So I want you to think as we go through this parable, the parable of the prodigal son, that there are two groups listening to him. One are the tax collectors and sinners who think they are beyond hope that they are beyond help. And then you've got the Pharisees and the scribes who are arrogant and completely self-reliant. But men, there is something else. The primary interpretation of this passage is that God seeks the lost, finds them, they come to him, and there is celebration. But I believe there is another application here that I referred to just a few minutes ago. The attitude of the prodigal son when he is broken and humbled is the attitude that God wants every single one of us to have every single day. The heart attitude of the younger son, of the prodigal son at the end of this parable is what God is longing for and desiring from each and every one of us. So there is another lesson in this morning's parable. The power of a man coming to the end of himself and casting himself on God and God alone. The power, oh, the power of a man coming to the end of himself and casting himself on God and God alone. Well, our second point this morning is a foolish decision. The younger son wanted his share of the inheritance right now, right now. Verses 11 and 12, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. R.C. Sproul, in commenting on this particular passage, said, because there were two sons, the second son was entitled to one-third of the estate. The older son would get two-thirds, the second son would get one-third. It would mean that the father would literally have to figure out the division of his estate and give the son the cash equivalent of one-third. And the implication in this parable is that this father, because of his many servants, was a fairly wealthy man, had quite a bit that he owned. Now this is unusual for us in our Western American culture. When we think about our inheritance, we think about the day when our father and mother die. And then the inheritance, if there is any, comes to us. But in the ancient world, it was possible for you to claim your inheritance ahead of time. You could ask for it uh, before your parents passed away. Unusual, but it could happen. And I'm sure it grieved the father, to carry out this request. Dads, can you imagine your son or daughter coming to you and saying, give me my share of the inheritance, uh, like right now. I I want it right now. And you would be thinking, there is no way I'm going to do this. But this father did. He gives his son ahead of time his share of the inheritance. And the younger son took a journey into a far country. In verse 13, it says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Hmm. This is a scenario that's played itself out probably hundreds of times in every country over the years. Here was a young man who wanted to get as far away from parental authority as he possibly could. He was going to take his wealth and he was going to see the world. And he was going to live out his dream of doing anything he wanted anytime he wanted. Guys, were you ever there in your life? I'm going to take what I have, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to see the world. And I'm going to do anything I want. And I'm going to do it anytime I want. No rules. No boundaries. No standards. Just uninhibited self-gratification. And maybe some of you have been there. But that's where he's at. No one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me how to live my life. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do anything I want to do. But soon, the Bible says, he squandered his property in reckless living. Some translations have that he lost everything he had in wild living. It was one long party for this young man. No thought of tomorrow. No thought of tomorrow. And he lost it all. He lost everything he had. And the rebellious son was then exposed to a harsh and degrading rule of life. Uninhibited self-gratification always leads to human suffering and human bondage. Always remember that, men. It's an unbreakable rule of life. Uninhibited self-gratification always leads to human suffering and human bondage. And maybe some of you have been there or are there. This morning, you're a slave to an addiction. Maybe like Garrett, you're a slave to your own lust. A slave to anger. You're a slave to bitterness. And it says in verses 14 through 16, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Think about it with me, guys. The young man who wanted to be free became a slave. The young man who wanted to be free became a slave he had nothing left he spent it all and to make matters worse there was a severe famine in that country and he began to be in need i want you to notice because every word of the inspired text is important there wasn't just a famine it was a severe famine he he has nothing he's in a foreign land far away from home and the economy is terrible. There's not a job to be found. So he hired himself out to a pig farmer. Don't miss the irony, even the humor there. This is a Jewish boy. This is a pig farm. The Jewish people were forbidden to eat pork in their diet. Pigs were considered detestable. And unclean animals to the Jewish people, according to the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. This was, guys, this was as low as a Jewish boy could go. But it got worse. He became so hungry that he was longing to eat the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. By God's grace, I've never been that hungry. He was starving. He was so hungry. Imagine this. He was so hungry. He wanted to go into the slop of the pig pen and get down and eat what they ate. He was longing for that. And don't miss this. But no one gave him anything, they wouldn't even give him the morsels that the pigs were eating. Well, our third point this morning is genuine repentance. One day, one day the younger son came to his senses. In verse 17 it says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? What a statement. He came to himself. He woke up. Had a spiritual epiphany. You know what this is? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Men don't come to themselves by themselves. It's the work of the gracious and good Holy Spirit who works in us, who pricks us, who gives us feelings of guilt and helplessness for a reason to drive us to the cross, to drive us to Christ. I say to all of you men here this morning, do not despise the hard times that God puts you through because in them he can teach you powerful spiritual lessons. Do not despise the hard times that God puts you through because he wants to use them to teach you powerful spiritual lessons. This young man's eyes and heart were opened by God. And his father's, and he realizes. He comes to himself. He comes, one translation has, he came to his senses, and he realized that his father's hired servants had food to spare, and he is starving to death. At the end of verse 17, notice as he says, But I perish. I perish here with hunger. Again, remember what Garrett said. I was either going to die or come to Christ. He's here. He's here. I'm going to die of starvation. And yet my father's hired servants have more than enough food. Well, verses 18 and 19 are a classic description of true repentance. In verses 18 and 19, it says, he says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. One of the things we deal with as pastors, and certainly our elders and deacons deal with this as well, when someone in the congregation has gone through a long period of sinfulness, and then repents, the question we find ourselves asking ourselves is do you think he's genuine? Do you think she's genuine? Is this genuine repentance or are they are saying this so they can so their husband or wife won't leave the marriage? Is it real or are they just sorry they got caught? We even think about that in our own lives. Is my repentance genuine? Is it real? Well, this, certainly not the only place in Scripture, but this is a place where we find a profound, eternal definition of what genuine repentance looks like. He says, I will arise and go to my Father. Remember, he asked for his inheritance. He goes away, squanders it all in reckless, wild, living And now he's going to go back home. He's not only going back to his father, he's going back to his family. All the servants were there. He's going back to his hometown. And he knows what they're going to say. They're going to say, you're a failure and you're a fool. He knew that. He was going to go back home and be completely humiliated. But he goes anyway. When a man or a woman is truly repentant, they will humble themselves before God. They will genuinely humble themselves before the Lord. Second, he says, I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He says, Father, this is what he's going to say. Father, I have sinned. Father, I haven't made a mistake. I haven't had a a lapse of judgment. I have sinned. And I have sinned against heaven and before you. Oh, let me tell you, when someone comes to that place, that's genuine repentance. They realize that they have sinned. They have violated the word of God and they have sinned against God. First and foremost, let us always realize when we sin, our sin is first and foremost against God himself. Let us be broken before him. Oh Lord, we have sinned against you. He's also sinned against his father who he hurt deeply and he wants to confess that. But his sin primarily is against God himself. And then he says this. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The third mark of repentance. First, there is genuine humility. Second, there is a willingness to confess that we have sinned. Not just made a mistake, but we have sinned. And we have sinned against God. And third, there is a willingness to do whatever it takes to get right with God and to make things right with those we have hurt. Please listen carefully to that, men. In genuine repentance, we are willing to do whatever it takes to make things right with God and to make things right with those that we have hurt. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me, treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. Well, our fourth point is an amazing response. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. Look at verses 20 and 21. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. First part of that second sentence of verse 20. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. I want to ask you a question, men. All of you men, but especially you fathers. Is it possible? Is it possible that every day that loving father looked down the road to see if his son was coming? Is it possible that that loving father would go to the road where his son left and he would look? Every day would look down that road and just wonder if his son Would this be the day that my son comes home brokenhearted? And I want you to know that it's the descriptive action of the father because it is so important here. When his father saw him, he felt compassion for him. And he ran to his son. And in Jewish culture for an older man to take up his robe, tuck it in his belt and run was considered totally undignified but he did it anyway. He ran. He ran to his son, and when he came to his son, he embraced him and kissed him. And don't miss it, this was the kiss of forgiveness. It was the kiss of forgiveness. He felt compassion for him. He ran to him. He embraced him and kissed him. Let's be honest this morning, Dad. You know what we would do if that was our son? we'd be like this. Look who the cat dragged in. Can't believe it. You, you would just be waiting to say, told you so. It's what you get when you don't listen to your father. You're lucky you have a home to come home to father didn't do that at all, did he? Not at all. When his father saw him, he felt compassion for him and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son can hardly wait to tell his father what he had reversed, rehearsed so many times in his mind. How many times must he have said this over and over and over again, anticipating his meeting with his father? And in verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Well, before the son could finish his speech, the father granted him full and unconditional forgiveness. What a beautiful, beautiful scene in the Bible, one of the most beautiful scenes in all of literature. Verses 22 through 24. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. The robe represented full acceptance back into the family. Full acceptance as a son again. They put a ring on his hand. Many believe it is the ancient signet ring, it would have had the emblem or mark of the family on it, granting the son full authority in the family. Whatever authority the father and his sons had, he was granted the full authority again. And they put shoes on his feet because servants and slaves normally didn't wear sandals or shoes. And his father wants him to know, "Uh uh-uh, you're not going to be a servant, you're not going to be a slave. You're my son. You're my son. Put shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. The fattened calf was saved for very special occasions. For very honored guests and great times of celebration. And the father says, oh, this is such a time. This is such a time. And the reason for the lavish display of love and joy is found in verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Men, fathers, let me end where I began. This story, this parable primarily is about the lost found by the Heavenly Father. But there is another powerful application. I believe that the attitude of the Son at the end of the parable is the hard attitude that God wants from every man every single day of his life. Men, this story is the story of you and your Heavenly Father. This is the story of a man coming to the end of himself and casting himself on God and God alone. I want every man here to learn what Garrett learned and shared with us in that video. Every day, no days off, every day God longs for us to acknowledge our helplessness and desperate need for Christ. In spiritual warfare, there are no days off. We need Jesus every second of every minute of every day. Men, you don't have to live your life in bondage and slavery. And maybe there are men here right now, right now even as we meet, who identified totally with what Garrett said in that video. Maybe you're living a double life. Maybe you're suffocating behind the mask that you're, you wear each and every week, if not each and every day. Guys, you don't have to be there. Your Heavenly Father is watching and waiting. Maybe you've wandered far from him. Maybe you're not where you should be in your walk with Christ this morning. Your heavenly Father is represented by the Father in this parable. He's standing every day at the head of the road waiting for you. Waiting for you to come home. Oh guys, let's commit. Let's covenant together as men that we are going to be broken and surrendered to Christ, not just once in a while, but every day. Let's pray together. Father, help us as men to take the lead in our churches, in our families, in our culture, in being men who are completely surrendered and broken before Christ each and every day. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.